Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of the Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. You're a first-time CIO on my show. I've never, I rarely have first-timers anymore, so this is very exciting for me. And there's a lot to talk about. I've, I've followed your work over the last few years, and, and I appreciate the fact that you uh, are not only on the show, but you've been very open at, about doing different, different uh, community discussions and panels and stuff like that. So I got to learn a little bit before we jumped on this call today. So let me start at the beginning. Digital transformation in the cloud, it's all part of the discussion these days. Let's talk a little bit about cloud and digital transformation. Where is SOCOM today in that, in that journey? We're adopting cloud at an incredibly fast rate. Cloud allows us to get away from fixed facility infrastructure. It allows us to reduce our cost in uh, military uh, construction projects and, and allows us to deliver capability to the end user wherever that end user might be, which could be a very austere environment or a highly contested and congested environment quickly and within the relevance of the mission. So there's a couple of things that stood out to me, uh, obviously adopting it at a fast rate. And, and I know there may be some sensitivities during our conversation today, so we'll do our best to, to avoid them. Have you looked at your applications and your workloads and the such? Are you 10% in the cloud? Are you 80% in the cloud? Is there any way to quantify it? And then I'll have a follow-up after that too. So, Well, I, I wouldn't uh, want to really, you know, provide a specific percentage. Uh, however, I will say that we are in the cloud in every classification level. And, and what that means is we have indeed looked at our workloads. We're looking at balancing those workloads. We especially are sensitive to the issue of being able to deliver a workload anywhere in the world in minutes to seconds, as opposed to the you know traditional months or years. And so we have broadly adopted DevSecOps as a service. When I talk about DevSecOps, it's not just kind of an, for individual microservices. It's an entire ecosystem that looks at creating cloud-native code, as well as putting that code into a GitHub environment so that we can share and have reciprocity across our uh, entire network. And it allows us to take advantage of, and this is really key, talent that resides in locations that are non-traditional for SOF. So we can take advantage of uh, interns, we can take advantage of hacking for defense and other initiatives that bring in non-traditional talent because not any single organization actually has all of the talent and uh, and we need to take advantage of that uh, wherever it resides. So we look at it as an ecosystem, a DevSecOps uh, platform that allows us to develop microservices at every classification level with automated cross-domain solutions that allow us to move code up and back and in between. One of the things uh, when you talk about DevSecOps, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask you about Platform One, Cloud One, the Air Force's efforts, now there's Sea Army. 
But before I do that, you talk about cloud in every classification level. Is this a combination of public and private cloud? Is it government only cloud? Is it mostly a mill cloud type of environment where or if SOCOM has their own cloud type thing or some sort of intelligence cloud? What are you using and how do you go into that? How does that decision happen beyond whether this information secret, top secret or, or unclassified? It's actually all of the above, right? And so we have a very hybrid cloud approach where you know we have to execute mission command, meaning that a number of our folks who are you know out there deployed could be operating for you know minutes to hours to days disconnected. And so we have to, be cognizant of those things that need to be on-prem versus within a, a public or private cloud. We are in public, private, and government tenancy clouds. We have already moved to Office 365. We had uh, luckily already done Velocity for over 80,000 users prior to COVID, which really helped us a lot in terms of being able to telework. So of course, that's only on the Nippernet on IL-5. We are waiting for IL-6 to come out and uh, we will be early adopters of that uh, because we really believe in the changes that global collaboration can bring to our entire enterprise. We have an initiative called data discovery at the point of creation. And so when data is created on the network, whether it's created by a human, a sensor, or any other device or capability, we want that information to be able to automatically be discoverable and searchable. It's a really fascinating approach. So I'm going to ask you about that as well. I see you're teeing me up really easily, making my job easy. I appreciate that. Let me take a half a step back. The IL-5, IL-6, I mean, one of the things I've heard over the years is there's been this more, people more comfortable putting, let's say, maybe secret or top secret workloads in a cloud, obviously the, the proper cloud, the proper, not just FedRAMP high, but but as you mentioned, IL-6. Has, has that been a journey for you all to kind of get used to, okay, well, what if we tried it? We have this mission area where that could really benefit from that type of access, that type of, of services. Or did you say, you, you know, from the beginning, whenever cloud got really popular and we started talking about it, 2011, you were all in on it. You saw the benefits, like, like walk me through that journey. We dipped our toe in the water, right? Um, what are some of the operational imperatives that require benefits that are offered in the cloud? And so we started with those particular um, uh, operational imperatives and were able to really, you know, try you know, decide and buy. And with that, when I came on board, which was in 2018, we had some initial apps and capabilities, data sources in commercial cloud. When I came on board, we implemented a broad hybrid cloud initiative. Um, that we executed relatively quickly, but it was those learning 
initiatives that had occurred prior to my coming here. Uh, and I'll give a lot of credit to my predecessor, John Wilcox, who, you know, I, I told him, as you stand on the, the shoulders of giants, right, that have come before you. It, it was that uh, prescient series of efforts in cloud that really helped to identify the benefits for the rest of the enterprise and to identify that, yes, we could develop a global approach that leveraged cloud wherever SOF was located. And just in case if folks aren't familiar with the terminology SOF, define that for us. I, I, I have it on the tip of my tongue. I just can't come up with it. I'm sorry. So yes, and we, we do tend to talk a lot in acronyms. So SOF is Special Operations Forces. And so SOF contains the, the Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy, and the Air Force elements of special operations. As soon as you said it, I said, that's it. Yes, but I just couldn't come up with what it was. There's a lot of discussion around hybrid cloud these days, how agencies are going to stay in it for quite a while. Generally speaking, when you look at your strategy and the long-term goals you have, I imagine SOCOM is no different. You'll probably stay in the hybrid cloud for quite a while. Has the pandemic, I should say, opened the door to more thoughts about, hey, can we put more workloads in the cloud? Can we, can we use the cloud differently than maybe initially thought? I don't think so. We were already very much prior to COVID adopting cloud very quickly. We did have a lot of questions revolving around, you know, how are we going to manage the cloud from an enterprise perspective? In other words, you know, we have a lot of great innovative individuals out there in special operations, but you can eat up a lot of your cloud resources that you allocated for the year in two days. And we were concerned that there could be this uh, uncontrollable appetite and then also perhaps a lack of knowledge of how to use cloud assets. And so uh, we developed uh, with SoftATNL a uh, cloud brokerage office. And the cloud brokerage office has developed contracts with all of the leading uh, cloud providers and has established, you know, ground rules associated with how much, you know, resources, you know, we would allow, et cetera, before we get alerts. And now if a theater special operations command that is associated with a combatant command, right? Like a SOC Cent, which is aligned with central command or SOC PAC, which is aligned with the Indo-PAC. If they came in and needed to put something in the cloud, in a cloud, they would come to the cloud brokerage office and they would you know, basically answer a series of questions and we would help them identify what the best cloud instantiation is, what the best approach is, you know, whether it should be, you know, on-prem or, you know, in a public or private cloud, what IL level and the types of parameters that one will put on it for uh, types of services. The key here is, and I really, really want to emphasize this, is cybersecurity in the cloud is really not well known. The skill sets in cyber security in the cloud are 
they are high demand and uh, low density and we want to do it right so we are not only upskilling our own folks but um, we are making use of people who are experts in this it pays to go to an expert in cloud cybersecurity and then teach your folks as you go as opposed to going ahead dipping your toe in and then potentially exposing capability or information and um, and so the cloud brokerage office really helps with understanding where our data is and how it's protected lisa on that note let's take a quick break when we come back we can continue our conversation my guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of the Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. Here's Brian Rosensteel, a cybersecurity architect for public sector at Cisco, on modern authentication strategies to embrace zero trust, sponsored by Duo Security. We're seeing so many different changes coming in and and. and uh, a lot of the best practices that we've been kind of, you know, screaming from the mountaintop for, for a while, coming directly into not only guidance from this, but also policy. Listen to the entire discussion on Federal News Network. Search Duo Security. Modernize your security with strong authentication from Duo. Security and IT modernization don't have to be complicated. In fact, Duo Security eliminates a lot of complexity to ensure only trusted users and secure devices have access to your agency's critical applications and data. Duo offers two FedRAMP authorized FIPS compliant editions of our cloud-based authentication and device visibility that ensure your organization meets strict security and compliance requirements. It's modern authentication for the modern workforce. Try Duo free at Duo.com. This is important news. If you have unfiled tax returns, the IRS is shifting gears and ramping up investigations on non-filers this year. If you fail to file your tax returns for a year or more, or you owe back taxes, now's the time to call Optima Tax Relief before the IRS finds you. Optima is America's number one most trusted tax resolution firm, specialized in helping individuals, families, and businesses get right with the IRS. They're experts in the Taxpayer Relief Initiative, a powerful new program that can make Make resolving tax issues easier. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, Optima's award-winning team has helped thousands of people protect their paychecks, bank accounts, homes, and businesses by putting their tax problems to rest, resolving over $1 billion in tax debts for their clients. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. COVID-19 is impacting the world and changing the face of healthcare. Conversations on Healthcare with Mark Maselli and Margaret Flinter welcomes the greatest minds in health policy, technology, and innovation from Dr. Anthony Fauci. There are going to be more than one vaccine that's going to be approved by the FDA. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. If we really want to get treatment right, we've got to integrate it with primary care. We are bringing these experts straight to you Saturday and Sunday mornings at 8.30 on the Federal News Network. Conversations on Healthcare is a production of Community Health Center, Inc. I'm Nicole Lagrisco. Follow me on Twitter for the latest news on the federal workforce and your pay and benefits. I'm at N-O-G-R-Y-S-K-O-W-F-E-D. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. Lisa, before break, we we're talking a little bit about the cloud and the cloud brokerage. Great concept. I think a lot of other agencies probably should be following suit. 
I want to move, however, to another piece that you mentioned, which is DevSecOps. And the DOD seems to be really on board with this concept, at least some really important pockets. And I mentioned earlier about the Air Force and Cloud One and Platform One. The Army is launching something called Sea Army. Walk me through your ideas about DevSecOps, how you're starting to use them, and what are you borrowing, begging, stealing from Army, Air Force, and others? Let me first say that the work that's being done by the services is exemplary. And they have been a model for us. We have visited all of them. We stay in close contact with them. We learn from them and hopefully they are learning from us as well. We have established a DevSecOps as a service approach. I think that we are the only ones that, at least that I know of in DOD, that have approached it from as a service, meaning you can actually log in to the platform, write code, put code into the environment, have it ATO'd, and then have it moved up automatically to other classification levels. So I think that we have kind of broken the code on that and uh, happy to share with all of you know the service efforts on how we have done that. But I think what's really important with DevSecOps is what used to take months and years can literally take minutes to hours. That's really what we're going to, right? Because any initiative that you have in digital transformation has to relate back to what is the objective and the key result that I'm going for. We have to measure our success by that. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, AI and ML. Well, first of all, what problem are you trying to solve? Let's go to first principles. What problem do we need to solve? Um, and then let's determine what the right approach is. Now, our DevSecOps um, platform is really built to support all types of applications. And the, the focus for us is, um, look, if you're gonna write an application, I don't care what it is. It can be a KM application. It can be a mission-based application. Write it in a cloud-native approach and make sure that it can run on mobile devices natively. Because while you may not initially intend for it to do those things, we want the flexibility to be able to do that at will. And so that's how we use our platform, which is called Agile Dagger, um, you know, because, of course, we had to have, you know, a really cool name for um, special operations. But uh, Agile Dagger is that DevSecOps platform as a service. It incorporates our cybersecurity. It incorporates our ability to share code. It allows us to do app integration across different systems and, a, and across different mission areas. I'm so glad it has not a Star Wars theme because, you know, as someone who uh, grew up on Star Wars and uh, will admittedly be, I'm, I know I'll be shunned in the community for this, not a huge Star Wars person. I was getting a little tired of all the, you know, uh, Star Wars references. So I like Agile Dagger. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that the as a service piece, because one of the things you mentioned was anyone can write code. So we hear a lot about the democratization of development of, of, of digitization uh, services. Does that mean 
whether or not I'm a coder, if I'm working, in, you know, special operations command or, or, or SOFA, I can, if I have an idea and I have a little bit of knowledge, I could go in and start tinkering around and I could give it a try. Like, or, or do you have people who are specifically coders that I would have to work through the whole user-centered design effort or probably both? So we have different models or levels. So yes, the answer is yes. You can uh, log in if you have an idea and you're at the pointy edge of the spear and you have a capability that you think that you want to automate. Yes, you can log in and you can start writing. Now that's going to get looked at in terms of how you wrote the code, you know, how secure it is, et cetera. But um, we have three different models. One, do it yourself. Two, do it for me. And the third is a, a hybrid a approach where it's a, a teaming effort. So you might have someone out at the pointy edge, you know, in um, uh, Africa, and they need some kind of capability, and then they are um, teamed up with, um, you know, a, it could be a geographically dispersed uh, development team uh, to uh, develop a capability. But one of the things we always look at is if we're developing something for a specific user group or geographic area, how can we reuse that? So we recently did a, a ranger selection app and we said, well, hey, you know, all the services, right, do selection. So let's look at how we can write this so it is agnostic um, and not so specific just to the rangers. They can add their specific criteria to it, but let's write it generically so that we can offer it to all of the services. One of the things I was talking with Lauren Knausenberger from the Air Force, Department of Air Force CIO, and, and she had said, yeah, we have great efforts, but sometimes we, lose, we get outside the guardrails because, and she offered a story about 10 different flight scheduling apps were all under development at the same time. So that was actually my next question for you is, do you have some sort of service catalog do you have some sort of a, she called it a Netflix approach where you can go in and see what's being developed and then pull from it and, and, and you know, the 80, 20 rule, 80% is done, but 20% customized or whatever the percentage is. Do you have that yet? Or is that something you're working toward? We're working toward that. This model of having kind of core capability, core services that can be, you know, checked out built into your capability, that's really important for us so that we can, again, it's reusability. It's also a way of ensuring that the best code is used as opposed to having very different uh, standards of code being used across uh, SOF. So, you know, again, it, it goes back to how do we get to that approach where we're using the best and brightest resources that we have. The second piece of this is you really have to be careful about DevSecOps, right? This whole buy versus build. Fundamentally, we want to buy as much as we can and only build when it is something that is incredibly soft unique because you'll end up spending all of your DevSecOps credits in terms of continuous improvement, continuous delivery, you know, always maintaining software as opposed to developing new capability. The other 
issue I think that uh, you come across is some of these things are personality dependent. They're personality driven. And then when the person leaves, there's no more support for that product. So how we're getting after that is we're saying, look, when you develop something, let's say add a TSOC or a component, if it has broad applicability to the enterprise, we will at the enterprise level, me as the soft CIO, we will fund that and we will maintain it. And so there is now this incentivization to, you know, create once, use many times because now we're maintaining it for the enterprise. And then we do have control over that. There's less incentivization with that model to go off and just kind of do your own thing. So that's really what we're trying to get after because yes, you absolutely agree with Lauren. You you can get a runaway train if you're not careful. This goes back to a budget question and I know you probably can't talk specifically about your budget, but obviously just generally speaking, is that something that you had to set up over time to say, okay, we have a budget that has a pot of money that can help build stuff. And that pot of money is obviously not, not infinite. It's finite. So you only have so much. So you always have to kind of go through that process to say, is this the most important thing? And, and how many people will this benefit? Is, is that something you had to set up over the last few years? Yes, it is. And, and, and that is exactly why we look at, you know, what, what has the greatest impact to the force. And, and we measure that, right? We're very data-driven as opposed to, but we feel this is really important. No, tell me how we're going to measure success, right? So again, I go back to OKRs, objectives and key results. How are we going, you know, as measured by and It may be actually a small set of users, but it may be so mission critical that it has immense value to the enterprise strategically, right? And so there's no one size fits all set of criteria. So there's not just this um, checklist of things, right? But that is exactly how we're getting after the affordability of DevSecOps and cloud. You know, I, again, I go back though, if I can provide a common data backend to all of my users that is now accessible and discoverable to all of my applications and algorithms out there, I now can get rid of all of the multiple buying contracts and O&M contracts out there that we use to buy literally the same, for example, database management system 50 different times. I can get rid of contracts for the number of FTE, the number of subject matter experts that we need to have on contract to be able to maintain those individual databases or applications. So um, this is mu- this is as much about reform, you know, financial reform, as it is about also being able to invest to divest. Uh, I know that a lot of folks try to say, you know, we're, we're going to divest so that we can invest. Well, in an environment where you're maintaining current operations for 80,000 people, 
you can't just automatically always divest first. Many times you have to invest first uh, in new capabilities so that you can divest of the old technology. And so, you know, we have this um, briefing that I often give. And in fact, I'm going to be giving it at, at the SOFIC conference that'll be coming up in May, but it's reimagining the SOF uh, information environment and how we reimagine technology is going to uh, as much shape the force as the force shaping the technology. We have to realize that technology is moving so fast and in a pace that, you know, we have digital native uh, individuals coming into the force. They fundamentally change the demand signal uh, of the things that we provide to them. And likewise, there is new technology always coming out that we are provisioning that fundamentally change the way that people interact with one another. I think Office 365 was a great example of that. And I'll tell you, when, when we were rolling it out, my biggest worry was no one was gonna use Teams. I, I was so deeply worried about this. I had multiple conversations with the commanding officers and I said, you guys have to adopt it because if you're on it, then your workers are gonna be on it. Well, then COVID hit and I didn't have to worry about it because literally thousands of our users were immediately on Teams overnight. And so um, it just kind of shows you how the environment shapes the culture sometimes. Lisa, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of the Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. Kubernetes is the most popular way for orchestrating containers. Hi, I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat, the leading provider of enterprise-supported Kubernetes. Agencies have been using Red Hat's OpenShift container platform to modernize. Now, with StackRox, we bring even more powerful kube-native security capabilities to Red Hat OpenShift, making it easier to add and to monitor your complex cloud environments. Visit stackrox.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-R-O-X dot com. America is the richest country in the world. However, every night, millions of men, women, and children live under bridges, in abandoned buildings, in the woods, and in cars. It does not have to be this way. With the assistance of the federal government, we could begin to reduce those numbers substantially. But we need your help. Please support the National Coalition for the Homeless as we are fighting every day to end homelessness by pushing our elected officials to make this issue a priority. Join us in our fight to make housing a human right. Bridge the existing with the emerging. When the competitive ground shifts, you need to be ready. With MicroFocus's enterprise-grade scalable software, government agencies are modernizing their legacy systems. With MFGS, Inc., agencies are able to stay mission-focused and compliant with government regulatory mandates while enabling innovation through cybersecurity, predictive analytics, DevSecOps, and hybrid cloud software. Learn more at mfgsinc.com. That's mfgsinc.com. Join AFSIA Bethesda on May 18th at 8 a.m. for the Innovative Uses of Federal Data webinar. Government IT leaders will share how their agencies have utilized data in creative ways to improve operations, better serve citizens, and achieve mission goals. 
Speakers will also discuss challenges and successes faced in harnessing the power of data while maintaining high standards of governance, quality, and security. Go to AFCEABethesda.org and click on the upcoming events page to register today. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. Lisa, in the last segment, we were talking about a lot about DevSecOps, and, and uh, there's a lot more there to dig out from. So let me just offer, ask you about security for a second. One of the things that I've heard over time is you've got to shift security to the left. you got to move security earlier in the process. And it sounds like you've done that. It, it, was that a hard lift for SOCOM? Because the automation, the orchestration pieces, getting that to a place where you're comfortable to say, yes, we can allow that code on our network. And as you said, you make a decision, whether it's IL-5 or IL-6 or higher or lower, that comes with a risk. And it's a risk that someone like yourself or the mission owners have to accept. Walk me through the security and some of the thinking about how you got to shift left. I think it's easier to adopt an environment where you're building in cyber versus bolting it on because you fundamentally know as a technologist that that is a more secure platform. And so for us, it was not hard. It it was easy for us to be able to justify it, not only to ourselves, but to, uh, you know, all of the funding mechanisms that, that also have to be in place because we have to learn to fight through an attack. We can't imagine that we are the the old model on cybersecurity of building the castle walls when they've, you know, dug underneath and they're coming in through the basement. Um, You know, that model doesn't really help us moving forward. So uh, implementing zero trust is really important across the spectrum of capabilities that people talk about zero trust and they're like, oh, we've already gone to zero trust. There you go. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Have you gone to zero trust and user devices? Have you gone to zero trust in the cloud? Have you, you know, gone to zero trust in apps? What, where have you gone to zero trust? Because there's a lot of surface area there. The other problem with zero trust is there's no single product out there that allows you to just buy zero trust. Uh, It requires a lot of expertise. It requires a lot of integration. And it also requires 24-7 monitoring of that zero trust capability so that you are aware of anomalies um, as they're occurring, as opposed to, again, you know, I'll, I'll use the old model. Oh, well, eight months ago, you know, there was a, a break-in and, you know, we're now we're trying to do forensics on what was taken or what was compromised. So to me, it makes all the sense in the world to move to a real-time cybersecurity capability that's built in. 
I'm glad you brought up zero trust. It comes up quite often in conversations like this. Where is SOCOM at with that? these concepts? Where are you, it's a, it's a, again, like the cloud, it's a journey. One of the easiest areas to implement zero trust is at your end user devices, right? So clearly we have zero trust at the end user device level. Much more difficult to implement that in, for example, cloud. Uh, which we talked a lot about in the first half. So I think we fundamentally have to understand where our biggest risk areas are, prioritize those, and then adopt zero trust in those areas. I think one of the biggest areas that's going to help us, but we will have to resist thinking that we own all data, which we don't. One of the big biggest areas will be in zero trust of data. Who can look at data? Who can't look at data? As we move toward an environment where perhaps data is searchable, right, at point of creation, does everybody get to look at that data when it's created? And so implementing a data level approach to zero trust is really important, but that being said, unless you're implementing digital rights management software, you know, how far do you go? And I think that's a big question all of us in DOD are challenged with. It goes back to this idea of roles and responsibilities, which I think DOD has been on the forefront in many ways using these types of technologies. I mean, the common access card is a perfect example. That sounds easy, but, but for someone like SOCOM, I can only imagine it's much more challenging because of the, the 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 type of mission areas you work in. You never know what data you'll need versus someone not to pick on our folks, our friends in financial management or HR. They, their data probably is pretty static in the sense of I'm always going to look at these types of databases. Is that why it's hard to to kind of implement it at that, as you said, maybe a DRM software at at that level? I think that it would be naive of us to think that we will control commercially available information and publicly available information standards, right? And that we will implement digital rights management on all of that information. So I think for for data that you own, that's very specific to you and your mission, I think it's very doable. I think for data that you buy as a service or even rent, um, those are not those are not options. And we shouldn't be looking to control them. We should be looking for better ways to be able to exploit that information quickly. And exactly to your point, uh, you know, I grew up in SOF and it was um, you always prepare for the next unknown mission. And so you're right. You don't know the data that you're going to need from hour to hour. That's why we are building out this big data backplane that allows us to bring in data sources at will and not have to rely on, for example, a contractor to write, um, you know, a plugin for it, or we have to wait to, you know, clean all of the data because frankly, all, you know, data doesn't always have to be cleansed in an extract load transform model, right? It could be just in time or on demand. 
And, um, and that's a different model than we had 20 years ago. And that is something that the cloud allows us to do well and allows us to do elastically right at the edge. Lisa, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of the Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. Get tipped off to the technology that powers the federal government. Federal News Network. Search Federal Tech Talk. American Military University is a leading provider of education to the U.S. military veteran community, offering national security and public service professionals field-tested programs taught by experts in cybersecurity, intelligence, homeland security, business, and more. Choose from over 200 online programs with monthly class starts that fit your busy life. Move with a purpose to the university that's got your six. AMU is part of American Public University System, which is certified to operate by CHEV. Cloud is evolving the way the DOD defends assets, supports the warfighter, and gains tactical advantages. GDIT's Defense Cloud Solutions are here to provide the agility and effectiveness you need to deliver on your mission. Visit GDIT.com to discover more about DoD Enterprise Clouds, such as DISA's MillCloud 2.0 and DEOS, and how factors such as the speed of acquisition, collaboration, and choice are changing the battlefield both today and tomorrow. Diana got some really bad news from the IRS. They said, you owe quite a bit of money. They told me the possibilities of garnishing my wages, taking my house, taking my car. Diana found out about Optima Tax Relief. They've resolved over a billion dollars for their clients. Optima Tax saved my life. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. For details, visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Do you know a federal employee facing a tragedy like their own or a family member's serious illness or death in the family? Is the tragedy also causing financial struggles? Feds Helping Feds Charity, FIA, might be able to help. FIA offers no fee, no interest loans to feds experiencing a variety of hardships. Special thanks to Blue Cross Blue Shield and Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield for supporting FIA in expanding this program. Find eligibility requirements and other program details at fia.org emergency. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lisa Costa, the Chief Information Officer of Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. Lisa, in the last segment, you brought up data several times, and there's a, there's a lot to dig out from that. But I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning of our discussion, where you mentioned an initiative around data discovery at the point of creation. Let's start, walk me through a little bit more about that initiative, and then tie in the artificial intelligence, machine learning, and some of the other pieces and parts that will make it discoverable, make it valuable, but also be able to protect it. We have uh, folks in every single time zone. We have folks in 150 countries on any given day. Those uh, folks are producing data products. So it is incredibly important that individuals who are sitting at the edge understand 
what knowledge exists here at the headquarters that we're able to also bring in from DOD and leverage and vice versa, right? The, the information at the edge has to be understood and searchable so that we're feeding, tipping and queuing results and that we're able to understand the environment better and shape the environment. So ensuring that our folks, as, as soon as a document, for example, is opened. So I'm sure you've used Google Docs, right? And you share, you know, information. That is exactly what we're doing. When document is opened, and someone starts typing, that information can immediately be known on the network. And unless it's marked, right, in a specific way, then that has wide understandability and usability across the the force and that's exactly where we need to go in fact i i think you have to really look at the risk reward of that sort of calculus i think there is more reward than there is risk in that right because we're putting things on the network anyway people you know look at that information unless again it's specifically marked in a particular caveat we would make that information broadly available that brings up the point of if, if i'm working in an environment and there's information i've just learned do i know right away that that's a classified or sensitive but unclassified or top secret or i don't know that until i finish writing it and then like so how do, how do you have that balance I will tell you, most of our folks will end up marking it based upon the classification of the network that they're operating on. <laughs> Let's just be, you know, be honest with one another, right? And so, so there are some key assumptions we, we can make about information accessibility and what the risk would be to exposing people who are already on that network, right? And, and already looking at information. You asked me a little bit about some of the, the technologies. So AI, you know, on the network, out there as automated recommender systems, you know, hey, you've got a document up about, I don't know, a particular SEAL team and someone else opens up a document and they're also now working on the network about and they're talking about that particular seal team a list of recommendations over in the left hand corner that says hey you might want to you know look at this document or you might want to talk to this individual who just opened it because we know who's writing the document and so in being able to open up a chat window directly in that document is priceless and I think that's definitely the direction that we are going in terms of enabling the individual to be much more collaborative by allowing them to understand who else is out there and what, what other information sources are out there. That's a fascinating technology because it's almost like the real time, right? If you bought this, you may also like that, but it's, it's right. much more mission focused than I bought some tennis shoes, now I may need some socks. Is that something, and I'm not sure how much you can talk about this, developed internally, or is this a commercial product that you brought in or some sort of hybrid? There are commercial capabilities out there today. 
that do recommender systems and they do them very well. The challenge is to do it if you want to be able to do this cross domain. That's a huge challenge. But uh, no, there are commercial uh, recommender systems out there today. And, you know, the example I gave and when I used the, the Google Docs example, you, you understood that immediately because you've done it before. We all have. And so I think that the more that we can implement that looks exactly like the things one would do on a commercial system, uh, the easier adoption rate and uh, the less upskilling that we have to do. Lisa, one thing that occurs to me as we've been talking about this is the challenges with all these different pieces and parts, whether it's the cloud or DevSecOps, is there something there that you say, okay, that is still one of the big sticky wickets that we have to work through? We have to work through this issue of contracting and intellectual property, right? So usually when you write software, you know, a vendor has access to those algorithms and that intellectual property and government has government use. As we move more into an AI and ML environment, we will have to make um, conscious choices about um, what we will and what we will not allow to, you know, be um, in a vendor's intellectual property ownership uh, environment. So I think that's something for the entire community to, to grapple with. All right. I know there's more we could talk to about that, but we're just about out of time before I let you go. I know a lot of vendors do listen to my show and I know they're going to be excited for all the work you're doing. And you mentioned one of the contracts for the cloud brokerage that, you know, that's really where the people look to for cloud services. But can you give me a sense of what's the best way for vendors to work with your office? Absolutely. Soft ATNL is the uh, entry point to uh, my office. Um, you know, we execute quite a large information technology budget per year. Um, we work with all of the PEOs um, in SOF ATNL. So um, uh, clearly, uh, PEO C4. Uh, is a uh, great entryway, but also PEOSD, um, that's software uh, digital services, uh, PEO Soft Warrior, and PEOSR. So um, any of those PEOs, um, we work with all of them, but uh, those are great resources. All right, now they're going to be mad at you instead of uh, uh, you being mad at me for so many people bugging you. So uh, that's good for me and good for you. Lisa, unfortunately, we're out of time for today. This has been a great conversation. I learned so much. So let me thank my guest. Lisa Acosta is the Chief Information Officer of the Special Operations Command in the Defense Department. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time. Jason, thank you. And thank you for the entire team. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Vion on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.